You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. This is Marketing News Canada. I'm Jill Saskin-Gales, and I'm here with Kristen Wozniak. Kristen is the SVP of Analytics, Insight, and Strategy at Gazette Media. She's also the 2021 Canadian Media Directors Council Media Leader of the Year, and Women We Admire just voted her one of Toronto's top 50 female leaders in September 2022. Welcome, Kristen. Hi, it's nice to be here. So since you work in analytics, insight, and strategy, I'd love to hear what are some of the big trends that you're seeing right now in marketing in 2022? Oh, that's a big question. So I work in analytics, insight, and strategy within marketing and media. So there's no question that the trends that I hear about a lot have to do with data, 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 and more data. Everybody wants data. I think one of the trends and conversations I have most often is how do I really focus on making database decisions to help drive my business forward? It's one of those ones that I both love to hear about because obviously I'm passionate about analytics and data and insights. At the same time, it's gone in strange directions. I think sometimes people want data to help them make decisions that they're a little bit too afraid to make on their own. Decisions they don't necessarily feel great about being accountable for and data can be a bit of a crutch to make some of those decisions. So Although database decision-making is something people want, I really lean more towards data-informed decision-making, use data, help you understand what's going on, and then make a call. One of the other things or trends I'm seeing really from the other side of the equation is, is about authenticity. Consumers, Canadians, people in general are really craving authentic relationships and interactions, whether it be with their friends, their family, or brands and companies. So. The conversation is about how do we use data, yes, to make decisions, but make sure those decisions are ones that reflect the true authenticity of the brand and talk to people as people. Absolutely. I think we see that, for example, with the rise of short-form video, it creates such an authentic experience and connection between users and creators. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the short-form video piece is interesting, too, because to your point, yes, it can be done massively authentically. But if done just for the sake of doing short-form video, that comes across too. It's a critical community. They know what feels quote-unquote right in the space. And if it doesn't feel right, it stands out like a sore thumb. And to your point of data-informed, you know, I don't know how we would use data to say what feels right and what doesn't feel right, but when you know it, you know it, right? That's the hardest part about using data when it comes to things like creative assessments or content assessments. In a previous life, I worked at the CBC, and one of the things that we did there was pilot testing and a lot of creative testing. And it's interesting because you could ask about things like, you know, do you like the storylines? Are the actors people who you see yourself in? You know, do you think that it's funny? Do you think that it's scary? Do you think it's reflective of the Canadian marketplace? And all of those things, none of the answers to those questions are indicators of whether or not a piece of content is going to resonate. The only driver of success in the content back in the day was the show is for me. And to your point, it's like, I know it's for me when I see it. And it's really hard to quantify that. We often hear an encouragement to make data-driven decisions, data-driven decision-making, data-driven attribution. And you talk about advocating for data-informed decisions, letting data be one piece of the puzzle, but not the whole piece of the puzzle. Has it been a challenge to bring either clients or colleagues around to this perspective, or do you find that's something that people are pretty open to in 2022? 
It's a great question, and I'm thinking that through. I think often there's a bit of relief when I talk about data-informed decision-making versus data-based and data-driven decision-making, because one of the things that we can't do as actual human people is remove our biases, our experiences, our emotions from the way that we interpret the world. And whether you're looking at data or whether you're looking at the world around you, just visually seeing what's happening, we all bring a specific lens to the table. And one of the questions that I get asked a lot is, you know, what data counts? So if I'm making data-driven or data-based decisions, you're telling me this data set matters, but this is data I've seen too. Does that count? How do I integrate this into the conversation? So I think for me, it's more number one, realizing that data isn't objective. Data is subjective and full of tons of biases on its own. And we use that data to help understand what's happening. But our experiences, our emotions, the things that we've seen, all of that actually should matter a bit. It's why we have people who have experiences in the field and their opinions matter because they've seen what's worked. They've tried things and they bring that forward. So I think sometimes there's a bit of relief for people to be able to say, oh, I'm I'm allowed to have an opinion. That's nice, you know? Yes, absolutely. And so something else I wanted to ask you about, you know, when I did your intro, I mentioned a few awards you've won this year, and you've definitely built a personal brand for yourself, as well as, of course, helping the various brands you work with. So how have you thought about building your personal brand? Has that been deliberate? Has it more hacked my accident? How do you think about that? Completely by accident. And the fact that you're saying I have a personal brand is still a little bit bizarre to me, to be honest. How did that happen? It really happened, I I think, at a point in my life when I was struggling with some things, not professionally. I was in the middle of, of a divorce. I had just had a baby and that adjustment was not an easy one for me. Suffered from postpartum depression and really struggling with what motherhood is supposed to be and what motherhood is quote unquote supposed to be in the context of also being a professional. All of this stuff and more and more I really found that the idea of keeping sort of the personal outside of the office wasn't something I could do. And that didn't mean I came to work every day being like, I had a terrible night at home. It just meant there were some days when I knew I wasn't my best self because of what I was dealing with at home. And so I made a conscious decision at that point that if I wanted to be a working mom, if I wanted to be a professional, I needed to find a way to bring those worlds together And I sort of just closed my eyes and I was like, I'm going to just start saying the stuff, the stuff that people don't necessarily want to talk about. And whether it be about vulnerability, whether it be about postpartum depression or divorce or I've suffered depression my whole life, these things make me who I am. They make me a person, but also better at my job, honestly. So I sort of just decided for me that I needed to do this. And then it kind of just went off from there. And it is so powerful. I'm a mother as well. And when I was looking up to prepare to speak with you today, I saw a post that you shared on LinkedIn in September 2020, talking about, you know, the challenges of motherhood during the pandemic and the fact that just you are not okay (laughs) and that it was okay to not be okay and not have it figured out. And we were all dealing with unprecedented times and unprecedented parenthood on top of that. I would love to hear from your perspective, you know, how did you decide to write that and share that? Was that an easy decision, a hard decision? Oh, the fact that it happened in September really says to me that I spent about six months thinking about whether or not I should write it. I think I, I at the time I was working with a collection of folks where I was one of the only parents. 
and bless my colleagues and my friends who who didn't have kids were, were, were trying to help, you know, and it was a lot of like, oh, but have you seen this app? Or there's a meal kit and the thing that an app can't do is, you know, be there when your kid falls down the stairs or when they just want to be part of a conversation and I think I was just struggling with the how to how to explain this reality to somebody who doesn't live it. And that post I wrote more for me. I was like, I need to say these things because I I felt very alone. And I was like, I can't be the only one who's feeling like I can't do this. So I think I I, I wrote it more just to see if there was anybody else like me out there. And the opposite kind of ended up ended up happening. I, I don't think I realized that I would be support for others in the process, but it was therapeutic for me. I was like, I'm saying these things and we'll see what happens. Yes. And I'm sure, you know, there's a very strong reaction. Even me reading that two years later, I thought, wow, this is exactly me. I relate to this so much. And I'm sure that so many other women, men, parents had a similar experience as well. well. Thank you. That, that means, it means a lot to me. Even now that you're talking to me about it, I'm like getting teary-eyed. I'm like, yeah, that was really hard. <laughs> so I appreciate it. That's really it's hard. Helpful. But now you know what? It's two years later now. So I want to ask you two years later, yeah. how are you doing? Oh my goodness. I, I can't believe that it's only really been two years, but also it feels like it's been forever. Obviously, I think everyone's feeling a little bit of the light at the end of the tunnel, getting back quote unquote to normal. And at the same time, exactly normal, normal in quotes. So there's some things that I'm really relieved to have be in place. My kids are in school again and they're happier and I'm happier and everybody's happier as a result. But also feeling some of the hangovers of of the pandemic and figuring out really how we manage this. Cause I don't think we figured it out yet from both working at home, you know, there's not like it's a whole different dynamic being a parent with our staff, trying to think about how do we make sure they have what they need between social experiences and also the space to be sort of on their own and thinking things through and not have to fight the traffic. There's still a lot of question marks, but I weirdly feel much stronger coming out of the pandemic. And I don't think I actually realized that until this very moment. So thanks for that. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And so you mentioned, you know, we're all coming out of this pandemic, figuring out what the heck a new normal looks like for all of us. So at Cosette, you know, you lead a team of people. How are you navigating that in your workplace? Are people in the office? Are they working from home? Are they getting together for meetings? What is that new normal starting to look like in your organization? I think kind of still also a big question mark. <laughs> you know, it's 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 so tricky. So my team is is the analytics insight strategy team and we are a collection of introverts and we've done a lot of fun archetype analysis and MBTI personality tests just for fun because we like that kind of stuff. And as a collection of introverts, my team really enjoyed actually the at-home time. And I think our my team was grew closer uh, and more connected during the time because they actually really got energy from being in quiet, from having time to reflect. That said, now that things are opening up a little bit, I think everybody, my team included across the organization, is starting to find those moments to be together. And when they're choiceful, when you say, all right, this is the day we're all getting together versus the day I have to go to the office, it feels like those moments become far more celebratory and far more meaningful. So I actually feel like the difference between having to go and the choicefulness to go is creating this new dynamic of, of friendship and trust and connections because we're wanting to be there. And if you don't want to be there, you don't have to be. And, and you know, it's a difference between have to and want to. It's a really big difference. It definitely feel like choice 
is the new word in a lot of workplace environments, which back in 2019, it absolutely was not. No, 2019 was definitely not. That said, you know, one of the things about the agency world that is different, say, from the broadcast world I used to work in or other industries, finance, things like that, is there's always been a level of flexibility built into the media industry. So I think one of the pieces that our industry or the media industry missed so much during the pandemic was that social aspect. In a media agency, a creative agency space, we got together for work, yes, but People would hang out afterwards to, to chat, to connect, to go for a beer. And so there was sort of a level of choicefulness before. And I actually think, you know, the, the, the changing of the choicefulness was the hard part. The transition to a different type of choice was the hard part there, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> I hope it does. Absolutely. <laughs> and so changing gears a little bit, you mentioned you work in analytics, insight, and strategy. So how did you get into that area of marketing? What's your origin story? I think like anybody who works in my space, completely by accident. <laughs> if someone said to me when I was 12, what do you want to do for a living? I don't even think I knew a media agency existed. So I definitely wouldn't have said this. I was sort of on a path to be in academics. I actually started my university career as a music major and then quickly discovered that I don't like performing. So that didn't make any sense. And switched to a communications degree, really just for the love of understanding people. And as I finished my BA, didn't know what to do, did an MA because I didn't know what to do, was on track to do my PhD because I didn't know what else to do, and really spoke at a conference one day. And someone in the audience happened to be working at the CBC and said, hey, there's a job opening. Would you be interested? And I went, okay, and did that instead. And really that's <laughs> That's how I got into analytics and media. And then moving from broadcasting to, to agency life was not really that dissimilar. I met somebody and she said, hey, I have an agency. I think we need an analytics team. And I said, okay. She said, do you think you want to give it a shot? And I said, sure. And <laughs> that's it. So I think sometimes, you know, there's a passion of, of understanding human behavior, which is really where I come from. But the rest of it is a lot of happenstance. And I think that's true for so many of us. Yes, I actually come from a similar place. I studied psychology and child development in university, but realized I didn't want to be a researcher and I didn't want to be a professor. And again, accidentally ended up in marketing and uh, and here we are today. It's something that's so interesting about the Canadian marketplace too, because we are a small country that once you're in a small industry as a result, so when you get into this space, suddenly everybody knows everybody. And so it's an element of of getting in, figuring out where you where you fit and kind of grabbing on your passion and running with it because we are a small group of people and we typically want to support each other. So I feel grateful for that as well. There have been, I've had champions along the way and that makes a big difference, which is partly why I'm so proud and so happy to be in a leadership position because everyone needs a champion to, to move forward in this industry, I think. Yes, absolutely. And it is one of the benefits in being in a smaller, warm, friendly country as well as being a woman in marketing, you know, plenty of networking and mentorship opportunities there as well. A hundred percent. It's, it's, I think the thing I honestly now love most about my job is looking at all the things that I don't know how to do, of which of course there are many, looking at my team and realizing that the things that I don't know how to do, I have this incredible group of people working with me who do know how to do them and they can teach me those things and I can help them think about their career paths, think about them 
in a way of, of saying, you know, how can I make sure to clear the way for you to be successful going forward? What do you need? What do you want? Who are you? And how can you, as you, be successful in this space? You know, my job has, has changed from being somebody, you know, who used to pull data into Excel sheets into someone now who helps the people who do that with me and for me to be successful. And that's a lot of fun. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. And so what's a piece of advice you would give to someone who's maybe starting out a career in analytics, marketing, insights, who doesn't have a mentor like you in the workplace? What piece of advice would you give to them? I've said this before. I think one of the big light bulbs for me in my career was when someone said to me, we spend a lot of time thinking about the value that we bring to the table based on somebody else's expectations. So this company is looking for this person to do X, Y, and Z. And we go, okay, can I do X, Y, and Z? And we craft ourselves to say, okay, I can do this. I'm going to write on my resume like this. And I think in that process, one of the things we forget to do is ask ourselves, what value do I bring to the table just as me? Forget about job descriptions for a second and forget about qualifications or all those different things. Ask yourself, what is it that I do you know, when I'm at my best, that I bring to the table that this company, that this team would benefit from, that I would benefit from sharing with this team. I I think we forget to ask ourselves what value we have. And when I did that for myself, I was like, oh my God, there's things that I can do and I can bring this value to this conversation. I don't have to wait for permission to be valuable. I can be valuable all on my own. And when I did that, it started to change the whole way I operated in my job. It felt freeing to say like, I know that I'm here to work for you and with you, but there's things about me that are great and I'm happy to bring them to the table. That may not fit into a bullet point on a resume, but are a big part of why you're passionate and successful at what you do. Yeah. And I think at 22 or 24, however old, 
I think I forgot too that when I was interviewing for jobs, I was being interviewed, but actually I had a role to interview them too. You know, is this job right for me? Can I be my best self in this role? Because if you can't be your best self in a role, then you're not going to feel happy with the job you're doing. You're not going to feel valued and you're going to start to feel pretty crummy about yourself really fast because you're going to feel like you're giving something that isn't reflective of your best work. And that's a lose-lose for everybody at the table. And so flipping the advice train around, what's the biggest piece of advice you could give to brands today that are looking to incorporate more analytics and insights into their marketing? Yes. What would I say? Well, I think the data-informed versus data-based and data-driven piece for sure is one of them. One of the biggest things that I see sometimes, especially as there's this clamoring for real-time data and I want you know, charts and visuals and, and, and dashboards. And I want TVs on the wall where I can track everything by second, not to get to 90s or 80s movies reference but, you know, Ferris Bueller, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you know, you could miss it. I think sometimes when we think about data-driven decision-making, we get too caught up in watching the minutia. And data, like anything, has error built into it. It has limitations. It has fluctuations, which is why we look at trends, which is why we look at things holistically. And sometimes when we get staring at a dashboard, we see something move and there's a panic button that everybody pushes. Oh my goodness, stuff went down this week. We have to adjust everything, cancel this, change that. We have to restructure here. And sometimes I just want to say, take a deep breath. Like this happens. And before we move everything and spend so much time restructuring everything we know about our business and our consumer, let's think about what actually we're looking at, what we're learning, and how we carefully, cautiously, and level-headedly want to react to the situation. Data can be empowering and it can be crippling at the same time. Uh, And I think that's something that we all struggle with, with the abundance of it. I think the other thing is recognition of bias. And I know I talked about that a little bit. There's a gentleman on my team. His name is Ken Gamage. He's, I I call him like the king of behavioral econometrics on our team. He has done a presentation about BE so many times. And the idea behind it is that there's bias everywhere. So when you're looking at these dashboards, take a breath, yes, because it could change in two seconds. But also take a moment to ask yourself, what is it really telling me? You know, is that data point reflective of what we're calling it? Take a moment to think about how it was collected, who is championing that data. Take a moment to think about the lens you're putting on it, because you may actually even be reacting too quickly to a thing that you may not think that it actually is, (laughs) if that wasn't confusing. (laughs) Or misinterpreting data. And my favorite stories about this, I work in Google Ads, and I saw that for one of my clients, one of the top interests a couple of months ago for this clothing store was people were really interested in trips to Russia, according to Google. And I thought about that and I'm like, why would the customers of this clothing store be so interested in trips to Russia right now above all else? And then I thought, I think Google's AI is interpreting the data wrong. I think people are really interested in news about Russia and they're looking up Russia and Ukraine and what's happening. And um, Google's AI is not a human. So it's plugging it into a bucket it knows, but the human can look at that data and say, oh, maybe what it actually means is I have a really politically interested customer base. Absolutely. You know, it could mean a million things, but yes, I probably would have come to that conclusion myself too, which, you know, I think one of the, one of the pieces that I talk about a lot is exactly what you said is putting the human in data and the humanity in data. And it's partly for that very reason. I think sometimes too, 
when we spend so much time looking at data, we forget that the data that we're looking at a lot of the time is reflective of human behavior or human perceptions. And so you can optimize a metric, so to speak, when you think about media and marketing. The question is, what are you actually optimizing? What do you have to do? What type of influence do you have to make? What behavior do you have to encourage or change or inspire to actually optimize that metric? So if you want to say increase conversions, there's someone, there's a person behind there. And so it's not just about getting a conversion rate up. You're actually asking, how can I better influence or inspire someone to click through, to engage in my content? And that goes back to insights. That goes back to understanding who your customers are, who you want to speak to. And then, it, you know, if you take that, you know, a step further even with the humanity and data, it's like there's a person pulling the data. There's a person aggregating the data. On the other side of it, there's ethics in data. You know, the data that we have is being collected from people, sometimes without their knowledge or they've consented, but in terms and conditions that are like 25 pages long. You know, how do we think about that part of humanity and data as well? Because it's throughout the whole thing. And I think sometimes we get caught up in the black and whiteness of it and it feels cold when data is actually really warm if you really engage in it. Because it's people. It's just a quantification of people. Quantification (laughs) of people. Absolutely. And so a few more things about you. I'd love to know what are some of your favorite books, either marketing or otherwise? Well, I remember I used to read a lot more before I had kids. Um, so Me unfortunately, too. some of my reads are a little outdated. I would say, you know, thinking back to thinking back to to young Kristen, Matilda was always my favorite childhood book, and I think largely because it was about a girl who was understood, who managed to figure out honestly what her value is and what contributions she can bring to the world. When I think about it now. As a grown-up, I think about how influential that book probably was on me as a kid, given that I think I said that exact same thing earlier in our conversation. Yes. <laughs> but truthfully, I'm a big fan of, of books that help us understand bias and human behavior. So, I mean, there's the, there's the classic Thinking Fast and Slow that so many folks have read. There's the predecessor to that of Black Swan. Super Forecasting is one that I've really enjoyed. It's sort of a an amalgam of a collection of different ways to absorb data, to put together strong forecasts and predictions for the future. So it really is a reflection of data-informed decision-making versus data-based decision-making. That said, on the less like, you know, analytic-y, you don't want to read always about, you know, stage one and stage two thinking and, and, th- and whatnot. But there's a, a feminist comic named Emma out of, uh, she, she's in France. She's written two books. Uh, one's called The Mental Load and the other's called The Emotional Load. And they're really about exploring different themes in feminism as it you know, applies to the, you know, to the home, to the workplace, to the general world. I adore her work. I think it's so clever, both for women looking for people to relate to, but also for men trying to understand some of the nuances of, of our existence as women. Yeah. So those are, those would be the ones I'd rattle off. Got it. And then in a similar vein, are there any podcasts or newsletters that you're really into these days? My son loves revisionist history, the Malcolm Gladwell podcast. So we listen to that one yeah. a lot because I watching a 10 year old boy engage with those conversations is amazing. His perspective is just so inspiring. And I, it makes me want to just literally bring him to my board meetings and being like, would you just listen? Because <laughs> he's got some really cool things to say. My husband is in charge of the podcast most of the time in the house. His is 
uh, the history of philosophy without any gaps. So I think we're on like episode 400 out of like something. I don't even know how many there are. I'm definitely learning more about philosophy than I ever thought I would. Newsletters. I was going to say, I was thinking about this, about newsletters that inspire me. And I'm going to have a really stupid answer. Um, it's not a newsletter, but I am consistently inspired by blog TO. Bear with me. There's a reason, which is I love the way in which they bring information together that seems relevant to the people in the place that I live. So I have my little space where I exist. But understanding what are the small little things about the city that get people excited, that feel relevant and meaningful, that feel big and small, reminds me that people are more than just the data right? Like there's an article in there today about Tim Horton's smile cookies and actually how people love the crooked smiles and the smile cookies. It's like, that's part of the, that's part of the joy is getting a smile cookie that looks kind of crazy. But then a whole other conversation around how the price seems to be fluctuating. Now I haven't verified any of that information just for the record, but there's, there's interesting learnings in that, what people are connected to and what they're not. So I really, I really love understanding what's happening in my city. Yes. And actually BlogTO, I think, is a Toronto-based blog for those who are in the Toronto yes, area. BlogTO. Does a really good job of, you know, understanding what its audience wants and, and giving them what they want. And so, you know, my parents who are in their 60s, forgive me for saying that, mother, you know, love BlogTO and I read BlogTO. And then my cousin who's 22 reads it as well. They've really covered this market and what interests us beyond just, you know, age, gender, demographics, like so much beyond that about what Torontonians care about. What is so amazing for me about that is back in my CBC days, I was so fortunate. I got to work with production crews from across the country. So folks in Calgary, through to Halifax, through to Victoria, you know, even up, you know, in the territories. And what I loved about that experience was the blogs that we, you know, that could be produced, say, for Edmonton or Winnipeg versus Moncton or Bathurst, New Brunswick would all look so incredibly different. And if we're looking as marketers, as you're trying to build brands, understanding what you know, you know, Torontonians want and what they care about is really not the same as other places in, in Canada. And I know that sounds really, really obvious, but as marketers, we are not always very good at seeing beyond our lived experience. Just because we care about it so much and we live it so often you know, even things like, you know, TV is dead. It's not, you know, it's, there's, there's a whole bunch of ways TV is, is well and, and alive across the country. It's just a little different in Toronto. So we, we struggle that way. Today, Kristen, we've spoken a lot about data-informed decision-making, the importance of remembering the humanity in data and gleaning the insights and trends from underlying data. So what do you think are the top three skills someone entering your industry would need to be successful both today and beyond? So the obvious thing to say is something like coding, diving into machine learning. These are, these are the things people talk about. That said, you know, when I'm interviewing folks, the number one thing I look for is, do you care? I, I want to know that you care about what you do, that you're interested and engaged and involved in what you do. Because the truth is, it's really not too hard to teach somebody how to code. There's a lot of training sessions and education seminars and all these sorts of things. It's really hard to teach someone to care. And in an industry like data and analytics, you really do have to care because there's a lot of data. You have to really want to look for it and, and, and get to the bottom of it. So caring is, is, one, is one. Two, 
curiosity kind of goes with caring. You have to care enough to be curious. And then when you're curious, you got to go for it. I remember years ago, I was asked from an auto client to try to figure out why one dealership in Edmonton wasn't doing well. And I don't know what happened, but I went like deep rabbit hole deep, like started calling like dealer agencies. I made friends with people across the country trying to get a sense of what was going on. I printed out maps and put them up on the wall and scotch taped them and all these things. You've got to be curious. And then you get to the bottom of it and you feel really proud. Third, I'd say is you just have to not be afraid of numbers because there's a lot of them and you have to not be afraid of them enough to be able to say when you don't get it. The analytics space is complex. You will never understand everything. And even the folks who are best in their fields make mistakes or need help tackling a problem. So you have to be comfortable enough to say, I'm really good at this. I mess this up or I can't make this work and raise your hand to say, I don't know. So caring, curiosity, and enough, I guess, confidence to get it and also say when you don't. Confidence combined with humility, it sounds like. A little bit, yeah. Yes, you're right. Confidence confidence on its own is probably, you need a little bit of humility in there to balance it out. But yeah. Just a little bit though, not too just much. Just a little bit, just a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. The last thing I would say is to be successful in this space, you need to have your clients trust you. And so that means to, you know, being able to build a relationship based on trust with clients, with your colleagues is really important because I think we all know that You can make data say whatever you want it to say if you really want to. So they have to trust you enough to know that you're putting something in front of them that feels relevant and like it's there for a reason. That's it. I'm here with Kristen Wozniak, the SVP of Analytics, Insight, and Strategy at Cosette Media. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today at Marketing News Canada. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Jill Saskin-Gales, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.